Hi, I'm Amy. And I'm Marcella. And we are both transracial and transnational adoptees, as well as licensed clinical social workers and trauma therapists. We have dedicated our lives to shedding light on the complexities of adoption and the system responsible for them. We have seen both personally and professionally the silent and overt struggles brought on by this trauma, and we are determined to do our part to bring about healing. We know that some of the information we share and topics we unpack may be triggering and uncomfortable at times, but we feel the only way to promote change is to be honest by sharing our truths and elevating the experiences of those in our community. We hope you will join us on this journey of listening and learning with an open heart and an open mind. Welcome to Adoptee's Dish. Hey everybody, welcome back to Adoptee's Dish. My name is Amy. And I'm Marcella. Thank you guys for tuning in to another episode. We are so excited that you are here. We're excited about today's topic today. It applies to both of us personally. Um, It applies to a lot of the clients that we work with. We are going to be talking and diving into international adoption today, which is a big one. Yes, it is a big one. And it, like you said, it is a topic that impacts both of us and our worldview about how we look at adoption. We are both international and transracial adoptees. Um, and international adoption means that you joined your family through the process of adoption from another country. So you were born outside of, well, for our, our instances, outside the United States, or just basically that you were born somewhere other than where you were adopted to. Time has gone on. I've seen, you know, obviously everybody has to use language that resonates for them. Um, For a long time, it was like, you know, you're an international adoptee. People now maybe use the word transracial or an intercountry adoptee. So there's different ways of um, saying that. Or, you know, some people say, you know, I was born in this country and came to this country. Um, but you know, for all intents and purposes, we'll be using the term international adoption today as we kind of dive into, into this topic. Like all things, everything comes with history. And it's so important that we understand history because it helps us learn where we can improve, where we can make spaces more equitable, where we can make things more, um, filled with compassion and driven with empathy We always are striving in our practice, just in our field, but also individually for best practices for how we work with people. And we hope the same for big systems, right? We hope the same for institutions, but it doesn't always work. It just just takes a little longer. It moves at snail's pace, it feels like. Yeah. And so when we look at international adoption, it is such a gnarly topic. There's so many complexities just based off of what country we're talking about, based off the history Mm -hmm. of that country, based off of where the adopted child is going to. And so there's a lot to cover. Um, But when you first think about international adoption, what are some of the things that you think, Marcela, are super important to understand in terms of history, in terms of that whole conversation? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like you said, I agree with you 100%. It is it's huge. And it's a huge system. And I think that 
as I have unpacked things for myself and learned more because to be real, the ins and outs and the messiness of these systems are not what is led with, right? What is led with is this is an amazing thing and it's a way to make sure that a child has a family and it's this like wonderful, beautiful thing that's wrapped up in a bow. And I think that it's really important to shed light on the fact that this system is really messy and especially in terms of the United States um, and children coming here has become like this multi-billion dollar industry. Like no other country that I know of has made it this big, huge industry in the way that the U.S. can. So kudos, U.S., you you did it. Um, And I think that that's something really, really important. Not that we're not going to also be touching on the fact that like, yes, kids are adopted to Spain and to Australia and to all sorts of other places. But I think that that's something that always strikes me. And obviously, because I'm here residing in the US, and as are all my clients, that that is just such a huge part of this. And systematically, the system has historically gone to places that are war-torn, that have um, limited resources, that are really, really struggling, and has found ways to keep this business going by having it be at those children's and those families' expenses. And I think that that's something that a lot of people don't want to touch because it feels icky, like even saying it, like it feels really icky. You know, I for so long worked in child welfare and there was such a, an emphasis on safety and safety and safety and children entering the system due to, you know, high-risk families or whatever it might be. And that's a whole other topic, which, you know, is not as black and white as, is as just that virus. Yeah. But when we look at international adoption, it's not necessarily like these high risk families, or even like you said, a lot of it is like these war torn policy driven culture shifts, political agendas that are running this really interesting narrative about how families are able to stay together or what families often are separated. And I think one of the things that has always really struck me when we have conversations about international adoption is the word orphan, which just gives me the heebie-jeebies. I absolutely cannot stand that word. So often I think that in order for this business to really thrive, there has to be right supply and demand. And we know that that is very much alive and well with families wanting to grow through the process of adoption. But in order to make it more appealing, if we paint the picture and market children as orphans, it's easier for the sale essentially to go through, right? Like here we are swooping in and saving or rescuing or doing this wonderful heroic thing by bringing these children home. When in reality, when we look at most countries, most narratives where children are adopted with the label of orphan, they actually have one, if not two living parents and an extended kin community wrapped around. Oh, like there is at least one living biological relative somewhere. Somewhere, else. yeah, totally. And so, oftentimes, these children are relinquished due to some other devastating, chronic, really intense cultural, political reason. 
and not enough is done to help match that family preservation piece so that children are not only uprooted from their biological families, but now we're uprooting these children from their native country, their language, their birth religion, their, their siblings sometimes, yeah. You know, everything that we think of that creates our identities children who are adopted internationally lose it in such a complicated, such a massive toll. And the grief that the system goes through throughout the lifespan to uncover just how deep that erasure and that grief and that loss is, is very profound. And so <clears throat> we can't just look at international adoption as, you know, something as simple as going on vacation or, and just like visiting, right? We're literally picking up children and removing them from everything that feels natural to them and, and, and yeah. for identity. It's like, we're picking them up and like transplanting them in a place that is like so foreign, so beyond anything that they are used to, accustomed to feel connected to, and then just expecting them to like magically thrive with no, repercussions to that and I think that it's really messy and while there are you know systems in place to try and make this more ethical or to try and make this a little bit better things like you know Amy and, and I were talking before we hopped on about things like the Hague right so the Hague convention which um you know did make some strides to make international adoptions more ethical um for certain countries to you know cuz not all countries comply with the Hague convention and their requirements um but for some countries to have to do things like their due diligence of finding next of kin before having a child relinquished for adoption or you know for uh, waiting parents having them complete a certain amount of Hague approved um, trainings or reading Hague approved literature things like that in my opinion it's not nearly enough it's not enough to fix all of the brokenness of the system um, so there's still a long way to go on it but I think something that you were talking about you know got my head turning of one of the big things that I think a lot of people don't talk about in terms of the system of like why we went international in terms of adoption is that um, a lot of, you know, we, I think we've talked about this in, in past episodes is that, um, you know, within our foster system here in the United States, it is predominantly black and brown children, right? Like that's just kind of who is, who ends up there. And most of the waiting families um, historically have wanted white children. Like they have not wanted to adopt, you know, children that are older, children that are black, things like that. That's a very real thing. And so part of the history of why international adoption boomed so much was because we could go to these other, you know, quote unquote, third world countries who, you know, the U.S. typically has the stance of like, we're way up here and other countries are way down here. We can do better at parenting your children, right? And so we're able to kind of prey upon, oh, you know, this, this child doesn't have X, Y, and Z and we can give them to that there. And, you know, number one, it was because they could then find children that, you know, were younger. So infants, much younger children. 
And number two, when you think about, you know, going to places like Canada to adopt, places like Russia, you know, they were white children, right? So that was something too. Or I was reading somewhere, I think it was one in one of, you know, Dorothy Dave or Dorothy Roberts' amazing books about, um, you know, even for people like us, right? Like we as Latinas, people would prefer to adopt Latinas because we're not as dark for some of us. And like that was then seen as a big push. And that's one reason that things skyrocketed in places like, you know, Guatemala and Colombia and, you know, other places like that are in some of the Asian countries. And so there is still all of these threads of racism, of elitism, of, you know, ableism, all of this stuff that is in there that just makes this, again, really, really messy. And in our country, I mean, if we just think about how our country was founded and our own narrative within the United States with adoption and how white communities were trying to assimilate Native American communities and send them to boarding school and ripping children from their families um, to try and help them assimilate and how many children have lost their culture and their language due to that. I mean, this is not, this is very rooted in American culture about this whole savior narrative. And this is like worthy of a whole other episode of just like the history I mean, there's probably like multiple episodes around that, but not even just like saviorism, but almost just like a, a takeover mentality of like, we do it the best, our way is the best way. And like, we're just going to kind of yeah. steamroll anything in the way. I'm curious for you, Amy, as because obviously both of us speak this language um, as an international adoptee, like for yourself growing up stuff that you still experience today like what are some of the I guess challenge areas for you over the course of like your experience like what has been like just hard about this Hmm. Uh, I think that being a transracial adoptee is complex I think being an international adoptee adds so much complexity to that experience because yeah there's there's like this total erasure and lack of understanding that we're not just losing biological connection and that genetic um, mirroring and all of this stuff that just hits adoption at a core level. Like Mm -hmm. we were already saying all the extra stuff that circles around you that makes you who you are. There's also the element of grief to that as well. And growing up, I mean, I did not realize how much I was impacted by this, you know, simple things like, I mean, not simple, but I hated going to Spanish class in school. Like I hated it so much because I had lost my language. Now I realize it was grief, but at the time I just, my system physically could not tolerate being in class. And then I would just skip because I could not sit there and listen to other kids being able to speak Spanish when I felt like this is my birthright. I should be able to speak this. Totally. I just grieved and mourned over that so, so, so much. There is this complete necessity to reclaim all these little pockets of yourself and figuring out, well, what does it mean to be, you know, a a child that comes from this other country. And because I'm in reunion at a very young age, I learned not only what does it look like to be a daughter in a different family, 
Um, but what does it mean to be a daughter in a different culture? <clears throat> and I think that's something that really hit me. And that's always something that my systems really struggled with because there's been such cultural differences when interacting with my biological family versus when interacting with my adoptive family and just knowing my place and my proximity to connection within those relationships, it really makes a difference. And having the, you know, the literacy to be able to navigate my birth culture hasn't always been there. And I think one thing that has really impacted me is that, and I think that transracial adoptees also can experience this, is that being in Latina spaces or Chilean spaces here in the United States, never feeling like almost having this imposter syndrome. Like, I don't feel like I belong here. I don't feel like, I feel like people are going to see through me that I wasn't raised in Chile. Yeah. And then being in white spaces or part of dominant American culture and feeling like, but I don't feel, my system doesn't fully, fully feel like this resonates either. And so always just dancing between these two different worlds and dancing between these two different identities and the reality is both of them, I belong to me, right? Like I, it's not just like, oh, I, I studied abroad and I really resonated with this culture and there's so much around this culture that I love and I still like try to incorporate into my daily life. Like this is a very real sense of who I am. I do come from Chile and my blood is Chilean and my roots start in Santiago and I have this indigenous blood that flows through me and it there's so many stories there that I've lost that I'll never know and I'll never have access to no matter how much I'm in connection with my biological family or not and that flows through me and that grief flows through me because of that so I think that there's just very it just hits different like it's this extra layer of loss and grief and we hold all of that inside of us and so getting our systems to really realize we don't have to pick one over the other is also a very hard thing to come to terms with because we're often put in situations where we have to pick one over the other. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. No, I think I I want to give a moment for just the fact like all of that is so on point that you just said. And like even just hearing that is like you can hear the grief and just the layers of feeling with that. And I'm just sending you so much love, hermana, because... I feel that I feel that at like a core soul level. Um, and yeah, just it is it's the constant knowing that you're like you're never gonna quite fit in a spot and that you're like having to constantly navigate that in between space and having from society and from all of these external factors, their readiness to put you into boxes that maybe feel totally contradictory to what your internal system feels like and having to like constantly fight in ways for stuff that was just meant to be yours, was always supposed to be yours biologically, genetically, culturally, ancestrally, all of it. And having to wade through all of that, there is like such a heaviness to it. And I think, you know, as you were speaking, I was remembering growing up, something always, you know, I I always knew I was Colombian. I always knew that that was where I was from. That was something that was never hid. But it was, you know, this, this weirdness of these other people in my life who are not Colombian are trying to teach me 
about being Colombian and about my culture when like, yes, like for my parents, they went there, we went there many, many times growing up, like that was part of our experience. But like, my parents had no business teaching me or trying to teach me what being Colombian is like, that was something that they had no authority to speak on the, you know, quote unquote, like support groups that we were involved in, you know, that were run by other white adoptive parents, like they had no ability to teach us what it was like to be number one brown growing up in a place like Buffalo that's super segregated, but then also about being Colombian. Yet there was this, you have to be proud of it, you have to be really proud of it. And it's an amazing thing. And it's something that makes you special. But it wasn't until as, you know, a young adult, I went to Colombia and immersed myself in that culture and lived there and, you know, just immersed myself in everything that that was what it felt like I got like little teeny tiny percentages of it. And it sucks to know that like, I won't ever have that 100%. And then I also won't have this whole being American thing 100%, which I mean, honestly, I don't know if I want to claim that 100%, not gonna lie, but like, it's just hard feeling like other people can just have that much more effortlessly than we're able to have. Everything that you just said totally resonates. Right. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, I see, I know Amy and I both work with, you know, international adoptees of all different ages. I'm curious for you, Amy, like with some of your littler ones, with some of your teens, with some of your adults, international adoptees, like what do you, are there like common threads that come up for you? Are there common things? Because even with like my youngest of the young, this stuff comes up. Totally. Yeah. I think some themes that just jump out at me right away are um, kind of like, the same thing that we see with a lot of adoptees, which is, I don't really know where I come from. I'm really curious yeah. about it, but like this, it's like this really intense, but then like, what is my country like? And that feels like this very foreign, very distant place that can be really, really, really scary. Um, because when we talk about just being adopted and do you want to go into reunion? That's a very common question or curiosity. But then being an international adoptee, it's not only do you want to just be in search and reunion, but do you ever want to visit your birth country, right? And so that's- So many added layers, even just that, yeah. Right, and so I think that that's like a big curiosity that I see a lot. Um, And then a lot of my um, adoptees, does not matter the age range that I work with, always have like these big questions, right? Like, I don't even know if my birthday is the right day because I was found in a field or okay. uh, the orphanage that I was at for the first three years, it closed down and none of our records were kept. And so I have no idea if, you know, I don't know anything about the first three years of my life like I have, right? Like, so I think that there's like these added layers of language and cultural barriers that just accessing information is so hard and can add so much confusion and so much turmoil within the system of, well, what does this mean for me? And if I do have this curiosity of search and reunion or even visiting birth country, is it going to fulfill the needs that I have? Because how am I supposed to access records or get to my starting point if that starting point has been physically erased for me. So I think that that's something that I see a lot 
especially with my teens and my adults as they like navigate searching reunions and the curiosities of mm-hmm. being Country. and also oh, a lot of, like racial confusion and, and like hundred all the time all like even really 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 young all the way up that's on the radar 100 yeah and like even kids as young as like three and four I see having language for um that nuance of recognizing racially and ethnically that they're different and trying to be curious and explore well what where do I belong where do I fit in you know, any, I think the major theme isn't about, I think the biggest themes across the board with adoption comes down to belonging. Where do I belong? Where do I fit in? Yeah. And so it just makes sense then with international adoption, there's just so many more questions around, well, what does that look like cross-culturally? Yeah. Yeah. I see something really, I don't know if you've experienced this too, but a lot of you know, maybe some of like the younger adoptees and even going up into like adolescents and teenagers, I I find that I also see those loyalty binds in place too of if there is a part of them that's like, oh, I really want to even just learn, not even go to birth country. Or I, you know, am curious about learning about my culture. I'd like to learn how to speak the language. I'd like to learn about you know, the, the cultural dances or food or any of those things, there almost is this, this blockage sometimes of bringing that up to adoptive family, because in some ways the adoptee knows, like my adoptive parents don't know, like they're not equipped to do this or it's going to upset them or it's going to, you know, cause all of this friction um, or because it's it's just never discussed. So like there's no avenue for how to discuss all of these things. And I think that that is, is a really common thing that I see of, you know, adoptive parents having, you know, just limited knowledge of, oh yeah, my child's not only grieving their family, but also grieving all of these added elements of just their being and stuff that they're wired for. So being kind of naive to that, but then also just not knowing how to address those topics or having that, you know, myth of, well, they're not bringing it up. So like, it's no big deal. And then I'll have like a kid in my office be like, I really want to go to, you know, Korea or like, I've always wanted, it's like my dream to go to Ethiopia because then I want to be able to like, see where I'm from and all of these things. And it just adds this added level of disconnect and misattunement because that stuff is so natural, right? Like, of course you want to go and put your feet on your, you know, your land. Of course you want to see people that look like you. Of course you want to be able to hear all of the sounds and, you know, see all of the sights and all of those things of your, of your country. But there's just such limited capacity, I think, for those conversations that it makes it really, really complicated. And then in a lot of cases, um, I think that, you know, international adoptees are going into families that have no, no, um, what's the word I'm looking for, like no intentions of ever going back, like of never going back, like you'll go on a trip to Disney, or you'll go on a trip to California, but like, you're not planning of like, oh, yeah, I'm going to be needing to bring my child back to their country. And like that, to me, like blows my mind. Yeah. Well, I've heard so many parents say that the reason why they opt for international adoption is so it's harder to ma- maintain connections with birth. Legit, which, ugh. 
Yeah. And I, when you like said all of that, so many thoughts popped into my head at once about, I mean, like it all resonates like the whole loyalty piece. And I think that the narrative in this country, the narrative around adoption in general, I think is just like, especially with international adoption, like, oh, we saved these orphans or like we're bringing them from these like really deprived countries where there's no resources and all these things. And so it, it villainizes our own birth culture and our birth country. And so like it creates right. this internal conflict of like, well, why would I want to go if everybody's saying like how much better I have it here, but I still really want to go because I'm curious about who I am and where I'm coming from. Yes. And so this conflict arises. And then if we do have the blessing to be able to go and visit our country, like I literally hear from everybody who's had this experience is just like, wow, my country is just magical and amazing. It is all the time. Anybody that knows me, I'm like, it is la tierra más hermosa del mundo. mundo. Every, yeah. To everybody. And it's like, I'm obviously partial, but like. No, but it's true. And like, it's I. True. It's true. I remember, yeah, like for me, just like sitting in my country, the sun hits different on my skin mm. and the air feels different. And like the, the moon glows different to me. And I just, there's a, like a, a, a true sense de la tierra, like to the earth that I am just yes. with it when I'm in my country. And I, this is, it doesn't ma not matter what country you come from. This is like a universal experience with international adoption. Mm -hmm. And so that loyalty piece of, you know, so often I hear parents will say, well, you're American now, you're American now, right? Which is this total erasure of like, but what were you before? And that part comes with you in that adoption. When you adopt a child, you do not just adopt a child um, and the part like a blank slate. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Adopt the whole child who comes from this other country, this other culture, this other beautiful way of being. And it's so, you know like centric to just like center these white or American voices around this is your culture this is mm -hmm. um the way this is the only way to be right and it's right like not adoptee centered at all like what we know all. about you know adoption is it is in the adoptee's best interest to have connections to those ties to have ties to birth family to have ties to birth culture to birth language to birth land all of those things and just like you were saying, it's like a lot of people sought out international adoption because international adoptions are closed, right? It's like sign, seal, delivered. You won't get any contact. You like, it's just like that. It, it's a form of ownership, right? And I think that that has been a huge part of adoption in general, but especially international. It's like, I want to make sure that I can pick up this child and this child is mine. And we're just like deleting everything else prior yeah. to that and not bringing it in as you know this this person becomes an adult yeah absolutely yeah and even in the best case scenarios where adoptees are really really connected to their adoptive families <clears throat> there can be this tremendous fear to talk about that desire to know birth country as well because the mm -hmm. fear of upsetting or rocking the boat is so extreme because the system knows that and interprets that if I can keep my caregivers regulated, if I can keep them regulated, then I can stay in attachment. And yeah. my system doesn't know if it would be able to survive falling out from like, like miss, like falling out of attachment from another primary caregiver. I've already lived through that experience. Yeah. Once. And we know as adopted people, what that experience feels like within our beings. And so 
it's a very real adaptive loyalty is a very real thing i always say it feels like cheating that's like the best mm-hmm. um and just this and like at any moment you're gonna get caught like at any moment like you have to be on point and hyper vigilant and like yeah and what a what a sad and just truly tragic thing that anybody has to navigate their life for feeling guilty about being curious about who they are Mm -hmm. tragic thing so if we just hold space and name that we all deserve to live in our most authentic beings and part of that authenticity of who we are is understanding the totality of who we are where Mm -hmm. we born, where do we come from who created us where are our ancestral ties where is our ancestral and how much of that is just so embedded and ingrained into who we are based off of our existence, based off of biology, based off of, so when you adopt children internationally, you're getting all of this extra, this extra beauty, this extra magic, and how tragic that we don't amplify all of that. Embrace that, yeah. How much more fulfilled and whole children would feel if a giant spotlight was shown on the magic that they already come with. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I think that that was beautifully, beautifully said. And I think that, you know, as you were talking, um, you know, I think that something that's so challenging with international adoption, right? Like we know with any adoption, um, you know, if it's, especially if it's not open, right, that there is that topic of search and reunion. And typically when we talk about that, it's, we're talking about birth family, right? But I think for international adoptions, we have additional things that we have to search for and additional things that we have to have reunification with, right? Our land, our food, our music, our culture, our people, all of those kinds of things. And I know for me, that reunification was, you know, able to happen in terms of my country, which I identify like that's my home. That is like, that's my home. Um, That was able to happen for me before, you know, the search and reunion of biological family. And I think that that you know, we have to go through this process multiple times and it just takes this added toll on our systems. And even though it can be so, so fulfilling, it also is really draining because we're on this like big, huge emotional roller coaster. And um, yeah, it's just, I think that that's something that people don't even realize. Or you like going back to birth country as like, oh, well, we're going to go there on vacation. We'll go, you know, I, I know lots of people, um, you know, Colombian adoptees, their parents framed it as like, okay, we're going to go on vacation in Colombia. Whereas like my family learned after the impact it had on me, it's like, no, Marcella's going home when she goes to Colombia. And like, they all, they all know that now. And, you know, it, it like you said, it, it hits different and it's an amazing thing now that I'm older and I'm able to have these conversations with my adoptive family that they can realize that, right. I was just in um Colombia for a little bit um with my family and my adoptive mom came along with me for part of it and like you know for one of the first times she was like you just look different here like you looked you glow different when you are here and like that was like such an important recognition of her being able to be like like you you fit here like this is like you are in your space you are with your people you are like this is where you know it all it all kind of clicks yeah, no, it's all, it all makes so much sense. And I think 
yeah, like the added layers of navigating these systems in different languages and different cultures. I know so many adoptees that spend so much money to travel internationally, to get their passports, to, you know, once they get to their major cities and they have to travel to like these rural towns, maybe where they were born or where they were found. And then, you know, having to hire translators and having to hire, you know, agency workers that can, you know, do this due diligence to go and, and, and because systems are just so different and court systems and lawyers and all of that looks so different depending on what country you're in and Mm -hmm. then having their story completely changed or fabricated because culturally you know certain cultures don't believe or don't they want to water down so it doesn't hurt the child not realizing that they're actually causing more harm yeah so there's so many nuances or you know, governments that failed families because, you know, they were having their own economic crises and wanting to promote adoption. So international adoption, I know that happened in my country during the era that I was born. And so children were essentially taken from their homes and there was nuns and social workers and Mm -hmm. doctors all in on this giant scheme to get children out of the country under a dictator, right? And so these really horrific families like separation was happening family separation was happening left and right um often in impoverished communities indigenous communities and so it's and these children don't have access then to get back home because there was no intentionality about keeping that relationship alive my passport name was changed than the name that my birth mom gave me and I didn't find that out until reunion and so it's just a layer of how the government went above and beyond to try and make sure that I would never come back right right and so it's not right. all evidence right it's like they're literally like just deleting you from history yeah and so when we look at the the system it's like this added layer then of not only do I want to find no search for birth family having and hoping that birth family accepts me reunites with me but does my country even accept me does my country like what does it feel like to know that our passports were altered and changed so that we couldn't find our way back right like our own country is rejecting like this is this like our people right and so it's added rejection for sure added rejection and these added added layers and um it just it just hits in such like a deep, a deep way. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Oh, I know we kind of like touched on this a little bit, but I'm curious for you, cause I know you, you work with adoptive parents and stuff too. And just obviously we, we see things all the time, both personally and professionally. What are some things in terms of like international adoption that you feel like adoptive parents like miss the mark on or society like just misses the mark on? Yeah, I think that people forget that kids come from other countries and that those countries live within them. And it's really important for children to have pathways towards connection to that culture, to their history, to all of that. And, um, you know, so often I see children coming to this country or who've been raised in this country in complete racial isolation, complete cultural isolation, and have zero access to these pathways towards um, understanding that massive piece of 
of who they are. Mm-hmm. And there is this mentality from a lot of adoptive parents that, like I said earlier, like, yep, you're American now, or yep, you're in our family now with this, whether it's intentional or not, it's harmful to just have this total erasure of what came before the adoption. And I think that yeah. it's not enough to just, you know, eat at a Chinese restaurant on the day that your adoption was finalized or, you know, send your kid to a two day camp to, you know, oh like my that- God. The, the culture camps, like really the culture camps have got to stop. Like really, <laughs> like it's a thing. And I think it's just like kids need, kids need that normalized in their daily life and not just to be othered in situations out of good intentions, right? Like we need children to have the whole family on board not just like sending, we're doing this like the one time to, you know, fulfill this, this once a year recognition that you come from some place that we don't even understand, right? Mm -hmm. that's not going to hit deep enough. And if anything, I mean, there can be beauty in that. Don't get me wrong. But a lot of times I think it sows more division and confusion. Totally. Because children then they're like, but why are we not talking about this the rest of the year? Or why are we not talking about this in a really intimate and real and honest way? Um, And it's confusing when we find moments to highlight it. And then we shame and pass judgment on kids for being curious about it later. That doesn't, it's like such mixed messages, such mixed messages. Yeah. And so I just like reiterate, I mean, I probably sound like a broken record, but when we adopt children, you adopt the entirety of them. So if they come from China or they come from Korea or they come from Ethiopia or they come from Texas or they come from Australia or Sweden, wherever they come from, like that is part of who they are. And so we need to honor that in its entirety to the best of our ability. And that's part of a commitment that we make at the at the moment that we bring children into our homes is that all of yeah. them deserves to be loved. All parts of them deserve to be honored. And that's a commitment that we have to be relentless in. Yeah. Yeah. Well, as you were talking, I had a couple of things come to mind because, you know, I'm all about pointing out where adoptive parents can do better in a respectful way. Um, number one, and this is something that I have had happen more times than I would like to see is that adoptive parents, when they're adopting kids internationally, I have had adoptees that their parents never went through the process of making sure they had U.S. citizenship. Lord, yes. (laughs) Right? Like, let me just like take a breath there. So like literally there are people that are getting deported over this right so people that are getting deported people that are not having you know up-to-date stuff and that is and this is like a legit thing like that is something you are supposed to do that is something that is the responsibility of the adoptive parent of the caseworkers of your agency to be checking up on and so many international adoptees fall through the cracks with that and it 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 makes me livid yeah and there's not legislation that adequately like protects us in that. No, but it's like, you know, like you you want to go to the lengths of owning us for lack of a better term, but then it's like you're not even ensuring that we can stay here, right? You're not even ensuring that we are safe coming in here. And then, you know, in administrations like we just had, like adoptees that were not covered and did not have their citizenship, like we're getting deported. Like that is the reality. It wasn't just like, 
random people getting deported. It was people who had lived here their whole life or maybe adopted as infants, adopted as small children. They were getting deported and put in like, you know, just like limbo in terms of like, where do they go back? Because like Amy was saying, maybe their country doesn't want them or has erased all things like that. So like that, I think is a huge thing. I don't know if you have anything to say on that one. No, it's just tragic. I know, actually know a couple of adoptees who've had experiences of not being able to get back into the country or be at the airports. And it's just, it's an unnecessary added complexity to their trauma that can is so easily unavoidable. Yeah, yeah. The other one that I think that adoptive parents can sometimes miss the mark on is, you know, if you are, you know, bringing in a child from a whole nother culture, a whole nother country, it is your responsibility to humble yourself and know I can't teach my kid how to be, insert ethnicity, insert culture, all of these things. It's it you can't do it right. You have to humble yourself and know I I can't teach them you know the slang in their language. I can't teach them you know how to make you know certain dishes. I can't teach them the the you know historical traditions on certain holidays and being able to find spaces to find places where that can happen and where that can be infused, like Amy was saying, on a daily basis, not just something that is squeezed into, you know, a couple of days or a week, because that just does so much harm. And I think that a lot of parents have really good intentions and maybe do some research and, you know, do their best to try and infuse some of that stuff. And I'm not saying don't do it, but that cannot be the only thing. It has to come from people who are authentically of that culture, speak that language, know those things, or else it's just, it's not the same and it's not doing justice for that adoptee. Well, I think another piece to that is really working through your own bias about a particular ethnic group before adoption happens too. Yeah. Why are we like so in sync, right? That was going to be my third point, right? Yes. It's truly, if we have, if we, if we adopt and say, but it's okay because you're adopted with me. And so I see you differently that's not okay. And that's not enough because we need to see again, the whole of our child. And if that child one day decides, Hey, I want to go search. I want to be in reunion. I want to go visit my country. We need to make sure that we're having honest conversations that are not vilifying birth family. And that every part of that child is seen with dignity, with worth and honored in a way. And that includes biological family, biological culture, biological, all the things. Mm -hmm. And so we really have to make sure that we're working through bias towards specific groups, which is like, you know, racism, you know, ableism, all the privilege points that we have, that we hold, Mm -hmm. we really have to work through all of that when we're looking at adoption, especially from another country and culture. Yeah. The only thing I would add on to that that I was thinking is it's not just the adoptive parents that have to do that. Adoptive parents have to be aware that if this is something that they're going to pursue, having those hard conversations with your family, with your friends, with anybody who is going to have contact with this child and seeing if those people hold racist, xenophobic, you know, any kind of views like that, 
because those will inevitably come out. And it's not like Amy said, fair to just say, oh, but you're our kid. So you're different or you're not like that. Like those are the absolute wrong things to say. So he would never, he doesn't mean it that way. Right. He doesn't mean it about you. He's talking about, you know, them, right. It's already like a you, them thing. Like, no, that's never okay. Um, But yeah, like you have to have those hard conversations beforehand. And and if warranted, you know, continue on having those conversations um, because that will impact that child. And rant. Um, But so what we were going to kind of do, we were we were mirroring some of our previous episodes in which we give you guys just kind of like a, a wrap up in our you know, top five things that we want to make sure that are some takeaways, no matter what your connection is to adoption, or if you have none at all and are just curious. Um, So our top five things, one of the top ones that we had said was just that there is corruption involved in international adoption. Like that's something that we have to be aware of. It's something that, um, you know, is, is, it's something nobody talks about but it's like the reality it's like this like big elephant in the room that it's like there but nobody wants to discuss it um but points on that that you want to give Amy like what do you think is important for people to just kind of keep on the radar in terms of that corruption piece um I mean this is a this is another episode right here Every country, this can look a little bit different, but right now, actually, in the media, if you look it up, you can read a bunch of stories that are taking place in Korea, in Chile, Cambodia. I mean, this like very real reparations are being are happening in real time as we talk yeah. because children essentially have been trafficked from their countries and learning about this, right, taken from foreign indigenous communities where these in their birth countries we're not given rights um, or we're not given the, you know, the equity to be able to have, um, you know, the, 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 the resources to have their families stay together. And so this is, there's a lot of money, like you were saying at the beginning of the episode in to be made in this industry. And there have been numerous times within the country where countries have even closed their doors to international adoption because so many countries are doing this which like yes yes yes. yeah and so there's an awareness beginning that if adoptions are going to have to be had within our country let's not increase the complexity of having that child also lose their culture let's like let's give them their culture at the very least and so a lot of countries are closing to international adoption for that very reason. Yeah, yeah. I think like we kind of talked about earlier with things with the Hague, like Mm -hmm. there are minuscule steps in like kind of the right direction. There still needs to be a lot of overhauling of the system, but countries taking these steps to investigate and, and shed light on some of these things that are happening and closing their doors to um, foreign adoptions, I think is, um, you know, it, it shows that this is real. Like they, countries would not be closing doors if everything was just totally fine. Um, so I think that that's something important just to keep in mind. Yes, and we've kind of mentioned it. We've dipped into this throughout this whole episode, just like this theme of a total erasure of identity, right? And so understanding that when a child is adopted internationally, 
that it's it's so much more than just losing biological connection to family and kinship and it extends into all areas of that child's identity um whether it is language whether it is food whether it's music whether it's peer relationships whether it's connection whatever that might look like that that is something that the system will spend a lifetime to reclaim and it goes beyond just that kinship loss of grief. Yeah. And I think just like the highlighting the reality that that erasure is added trauma, right? Like that is how our system interprets that. It's an added threat. It's added trauma. It's added, you know, big question marks and puzzle pieces missing. And it's something that internationally internationally adopted people, it's just like this added burden that has to be shouldered. You came up with this this next one that I absolutely love, and I think it's so important. We wanted to highlight that for adoptees, um, obviously for anybody, getting to a place of formulating your identity and all of those things is just a really important developmental milestone. We all go through that stage. But you really highlighted on something important of for international adoptees, there is this process of having to reclaim an identity that was lost and go through the process, whatever that looks like, because it's not the same for everybody, but of reclaiming and relearning and kind of just like getting their system recalibrated to aspects of their identity. And I thought that that was really beautifully, beautifully said. Yeah. And a lot of times what I see when I'm working with adoptees who are international adoptees is they will reclaim their birth name or they'll reclaim maybe they knew biological family practice, this religion, and it's different from adoptive, adoptive family religion. And just really giving permission to allow those changes to happen it's such an empowering thing for somebody to tap into, hey, authentically, this is where I feel really safe. And this is what makes me feel really whole. And mm-hmm. we never want to take that sense of peace away from anybody. We never want to take away that sense of security, that sense of belonging. And so keeping a pulse on your own triggers, if you're an adoptive parent listening, and you know that your adopted child might be curious about changing their name, this isn't a reflection of anything that you're not doing or providing. This is a reflection of them learning about who they are and where they come from and trying to find a way to incorporate all the things that they've been gifted through life in a way that really embodies who they authentically are now being touched by this experience of international adoption. Yeah, I think it's so much about just acknowledging that that makes so much sense that you would have to do that reclaiming and go through that process that it's not going to happen overnight that there is a lot of fulfillment that can come with it but also a lot of grief that you even had to go through all of these extra hoops that all of this stuff was just taken in the first place and I think you make the really important point of you know adoptive parents society like not vilifying us for that and not taking it personally because Like this is stuff that just was our birthright that got taken without our consent, without us knowing what was going on. And we have every right to um, reclaim that in a way that helps us honor our entire system and help us to just feel at peace. We talked about this already, but just the true commitment of immersing child in their culture 
and on making sure that we're intentional about how we create pathways towards connection, whether that is in relationship, whether that is with language, whether that is with racial identity building or having racial emirs in our community. That might be something as, you know, extreme as moving communities for your child because you're realizing that what you have access in your community is so minimal. Being able to go out of your comfort zone to ensure security for your child's well-being. Again, adoption is truly a choice. And if that is something that feels like, why should I have to uproot? Well, then I don't mean to sound harsh or cold, but then maybe adoption isn't for you because it's ensuring mm-hmm. that a child who's already endured all this trauma continues to have access to minimize that trauma as much as possible. And so that commitment can never be underestimated about why it's so important for parents to go above and beyond to make sure that that part of that identity is understood to the best of their ability. Well, yeah, and that it, that it's held as like sacred, right? Like that that is like a sacred part of adoptees that should not just be deleted or ignored or any of those things. And I think that it is so important before, during, after the process, especially before, before you get into it, but obviously there's a lot of international adoptions that have already happened. So it's not too late to be thinking about these things, but it's for adoptive parents, like, are you willing to go move to your child's birth country? Do you yourself speak, you know, whatever your child's native language would have been? Are you going to be willing to dish out money for them to learn language and maybe it's not in school like Amy said if that's something that's really really triggering for your kid are you going to hire them like a private tutor to do those things are you going to actually travel to the child's birth country to go and meet them there's lots of times historically where parents didn't even set foot on their child's birth country like the child would come with like you know some random stranger on an airplane and then they'd meet each other at the airport right like these are things to think of does your does your neighborhood have a lot of racial mirrors are you willing to you know switch jobs switch schools in order to do these things are you willing to put yourself out there with you know community groups that you may not have any knowledge of in those things. Like there's all this stuff to consider of how am I going to make sure that this is truly um, adoptee centered. And I do acknowledge that that can be a very scary and real thing. Your heart can be. And, you know, putting yourself outside of your comfort zone is not something that humans historically are good at, regardless of who you are adopted or not. And so acknowledging that this is hard work this is incredibly courageous and brave work and you know in order to do this requires an element of keeping a pulse on your own bias your own triggers and all that and that in itself is not easy no just that commitment there's never an expectation of 100% perfection will you get it right 100% of the time of course not but nobody will it's just revisiting that commitment, revisiting that why this is so important and using that as a mission statement that kind of like guides all the decisions and keeps a pulse on how you're making sure that you're navigating these conversations and topics within your household. And the last one we were going to touch on is just this topic and we touched on it here and there, but this topic of saviorism. Um, And this goes for people, whether you're an adoptive parent, whether, you know, you're, you're working at an agency, 
pregnancy, you have no tie to adoption. It's like, please, please, please stop saying that like we are better off here. Stop saying things like, oh my gosh, you have so much better opportunities here. Oh my gosh, don't you love it here? Would you have rather stayed there? You would have been on the streets there. Like all of the, like, these are real ignorant comments that like I've received every single one of those. I know other adoptees have received every single one of those. And just like, please stop painting the picture that you are saving us. Like that is for me, there's just such a level of, I think, disrespect of that because like I said earlier, like Colombia is la tierra más hermosa, hermosa del mundo. Like that is my home. That is like, that is my soul there. And for people to tell me that here is better for people to tell me that I should dismiss that or be happier that I was taken from that. Like it, it boils my blood because it's, I, I, I take it as such a, a personal attack against me, against my biological family, against my ancestors, against my culture. And even though, yes, I have had different opportunities and things here, there is still so much immense grief that international adoptees have to carry because all of this stuff was just stripped from us, the stuff that we were just wired for. And I think that that, that narrative of saviorism is just, it, it, it grinds my gears personally, but I, it's just so damaging. It's so damaging. Yeah. And I think in that conversation of saviorism, if you're studying abroad or if you're on a mission trip, or if you're visiting a country and happen to go to an orphanage or who knows what, and you see children that are not living with their kin or within biological connection, rather than saying or having the mentality of, oh my gosh, I would love to come back and adopt one of these children, getting Ugh. curious about, oh my gosh, what could I do to help them be in reunion and be in connection? A lot of times the answer is, oh, we'll adopt, we'll adopt, we'll adopt internationally. Totally. It's like the go totally. Yeah. Or maybe the family just needs a month worth of groceries, or maybe the family needs stable housing, right? Or something like that. And it would be easier and honestly more cost effective to be able to help a family get the resources that they need short term so that they can reunify than going through all the legal documentation, right? Yeah. And so we really have to ask ourselves, what is our true intention behind these things? And why are, as a society, as multiple societies globally in these conversations and narratives, why are we not valuing family preservation? And so I just offer that as an opportunity to get curious about if you have ever been in these situations or if you are ever traveling and noticing um, this experience where children are living without with biological connection, what could we do to shift that narrative towards family preservation when we look at the structures of war, policy, culture, religion, and how that's impacting families from not being able to stay together? Yeah, I think that's such an important point. I think it's, you know, people are so quick to just adoption as like the instant solution when it's inflicting so much, like quite frankly, like preventable trauma for families, for generations, all of this stuff. And, you know, just like you said, it's it's encouraging to ask more questions. Like people are just so quick to be like, oh my gosh, I just want to adopt or oh my gosh, even just like on Facebook when people see 
things or when there's, you know, stories out there, it's like, oh my gosh, I wish I could adopt them all. I wish I could adopt them. Blah, blah, blah. It's, it's like, you're not even asking the questions of why you're not asking the questions of like, why is it not possible for this family to stay together? What are the barriers? What is causing this to be a thing right now? And how can I help with that? Instead, it's just like, what can I gain? And I think that that's just such the, the backwards way of looking at it. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. So that was our top five big deep breaths. Amy and I are like amped up. We're like ready to go. Yeah. It's a lot. It's a lot to cover and it's impossible to do it in a podcast episode. It's impossible to do it. You know, even if a whole podcast was devoted to the complexities of international adoption, Mm -hmm. I would love to hear from other international adoptees who are listening, who are tuning in their thoughts, their comments, their experiences. Yeah. It's all relevant. And even if you hear from the two of us, knowing that we do not represent the entire international transracial adoptee community. Um, We are a collective and all of our experiences matter in this, in this conversation. And we're just so excited to be able to be carrying this conversation just a little bit forward. So thank you so much for tuning in as always. We value these conversations and it's an honor that people are excited about them alongside us. So thank you for tuning in. You can always check in with us on Instagram at Adoptees Dish Podcast or at Gmail at Adoptees Dish at gmail.com. Um, so thank you so much for tuning in. Thanks, guys. Thank you so much for listening to Adoptees Dish. We want to give a special shout out to Patreon, Spotify, iTunes, and Anchor. If you like what you heard and want to support our work, or allow us to have amazing guests on the show, please consider making a donation. We can be reached on Instagram at Adoptees Dish Podcast, at Grohio Blossom, and Marcella Maslow. And you can send us emails at adoptiesdish at gmail.com. Thanks again for listening, and join us next week for our next episode. Please share this podcast, talk to others about things you learned. Together, we have the potential to heal broken systems.